we're still figuring out as regulators, as lawmakers, as, you know, the treasury, the finance sort of people in government, et cetera, how to create the right environment for shift workers. So you want to protect people from exploitation and not having enough to live on, but you don't want to ruin the flexibility that we get for industry as well as for people from these kinds of models, you know. So we, we need to see how it's going to play out. Welcome to the Shifts Happen podcast. We're your co-hosts, Lucy Whittington and Scott Irwin from High Hand, having conversations about workforce planning and managing flexible teams to see how shifts happen in different circumstances. For us, dynamic staffing is key to having a flexible, engaged, and productive workforce. And we invite you to join us as we talk to people-powered business owners, those working in large organizations, along with commentators and consultants about the future of work and workforce planning. Lord Way, or Nat, as I am fortunate to call him as a friend, is a futurologist among many things, and listening to his ideas on the future of work was extremely interesting, to say the least. Not only did he have a great idea for hospital car parks, both now and in the future, but he also had lots of other examples of multi-skilling, managing demand, ice creams and umbrellas feature, and finding time to get teams to solve their own future workforce problems. It was also worth noting that this was very much a multimodal <laughs> interview um, as he was mostly in his car. So do expect sound effects accordingly. You're more active than I am, Nat, obviously, maybe between <laughs> many offices. I, I looked at my Google uh, Maps foot profile and I think I've been to like five places within a 0.2 mile radius in the month of November. <laughs> Um, given how local my life has become. It sounds like you're still traveling a bit, though. Yeah, I'm doing still uh, daily travel, um, but also working from home. So I'm sort of multimodal in my day, uh, exercising. Um, So going out the tennis now that we're out of uh, full lockdown in London, but also have continued to you know, use my Oculus Rift, uh, even to play ping pong with colleagues, just to kind of get that sense of camaraderie. Sometimes I play ping pong and I do listen to podcasts or the, all those YouTube videos. Yeah, this is what I mean by having to do things at the same time. If you don't do that, your life just ends up being an endless Zoom or streaming kind of, uh, you know, end-to-end experience, which is which is pretty bad. So we, we're having to learn, I think, now to, to mix the physical and digital a lot more than we, we did, just so we can keep fit and mentally healthy right i think that's why podcasting actually um you know i I personally resisted podcasts for ages because um you know i'd rather watch something or read something but actually exactly like you've said i listen to podcasts when i'm uh if i have to drive somewhere or i'm going for a walk or i you know i'm just i have been known this is not cool but i have been known to listen to podcasts while ironing but (laughs) Yeah, it it just it just gives, you know, it's finding that time, but it's allowing you to consume information that actually might be, you know, more in depth than just, uh, you know, some mindless uh, Netflix. Yeah, and I I think that um, there is a deeper uh, lesson here. I mean, I we've now we're now voting remotely because they set up finally because of the you know, the emergency after, after many of us have, over many years said, you know, why can't we vote remotely? Mm. They've set up the ability to, to do that. 
And, you know, I, I have to admit, there have been times when I've done the dishes and, and, and voted. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and lots of other things, too. So, um, but if you think about what, what, it, what was it like before, well, before we had to be, you know, at the House of Lords or at your workplace, if, if you're, you know, looking from a corporate perspective. And um, so this, there's a, you know, one of these key skills is how do we, um, yes, there's a lot of talk about losing focus if you, um, if you do lots of things at the same time and you can't remember often what you were doing. But I think if, if remembering what you were doing is not that important, there are parts of our day, our, our work life where we have to, we have to juggle uh, more than ever before. And I remember speaking to some people in the, you know, in the industry, uh, particularly around low skilled work in say a Tesco Metro or a supermarket, um, you know, one of the ones in town where the economics don't allow you really to pay, you know, any more for um, staff to be doing one thing. So you might have security guards, you'll have someone at the checkout till, someone doing the shelf stacking. And yes, you can bring in automation, but let's assume you still need to ultimately, you know, fix the machine or help someone with the problem uh, at the till or whatever. Um, then, you know, I was I was told of an experiment where they actually decided to train all of the three people uh, that would have be in a store at any one time in each of each of each each of the other person's jobs, so they could suddenly toggle. You know, so if you needed the security guard, could temporarily mind the till while the person at the till help with a, with a shelf stacking issue or vice versa. Um, and I think the, the, the end result is actually people will get better pay because you're no longer asking them to do things that are just not really necessary for parts of the day. Instead, they can, they can acquire other skills. Um, but the main skill is learning how to, to toggle and to um, you know, switch from one task and one thing to another rather than what we have had for the last you know, centuries is this hyper specialization and you only do one thing, you know? Mm, no, no, I, I, I agree Nat. that's, um, this is, this is even a part of a, the, the defense strategy, at least in, in the U S uh, there's a great article around minimal man staffing. I think is the kind of, you know, it's going to two, $2 word put to what you just described where they yeah. sent a destroyer, the U S Navy out to sea with one fourth of the staff, but effectively, like you said, trained people in multiple jobs because they realized that the specializations, as you said, were not actually a full-time role. And so I think my yeah. favorite was the, the individual that was the, the chef, the lookout and, and a pretty active participant on the ropes to kind of, you know, handle the deck. <laughs> and so you do, you do, you yeah. do find, uh, you, you do find, uh, yeah, that, that actually, what was also interesting is that the attributes that oftentimes are, we look to in traditional, you know, perhaps models of work as helpful, like grit, determination, not giving up, you know, actually then when you're, like you say, toggling around so much become actually liabilities and it's more flexibility, yeah. fluidity, <laughs> you know, willingness to jump That's around right. that are actually the strengths that you're looking to, uh, to, uh, to encourage. So I know I agree that this is yeah. the way of the future. And I think increasingly the machines, the robots, if you like, the automation, uh, not that there isn't a place for grit and, you know, single mindedness, but I think a lot of that is going to be done by machines and the people have to be more responsive to, oh, the robot's broken down. And what do we do now? I have to, I have to do temporarily some of the things the robot was doing or I have to fix the robot. You know, um, it's that ability to kind of improvise and see around corners, you know, 
that that is that is the real asset. I think in a, I read an article in the US. I think Walmart just fired their robot company because they figured out that the robot company could um, the tasks could be done by humans. I think it was to do with shelf stacking at the beginning of COVID, hmm. and they were able to do it while they were doing other things that they were they were doing anyway. And it just worked out cheaper. <laughs> So it's not a panacea, automation and robots. Actually, often you have to figure out how the human and the robot interacts to actually get the productivity gain. You know, um, I know of other examples too, where you know, if you look at cleaning, um, there are you know players out there that are using um, you know data and sensors to work out what rooms you need to clean because too often you know people just clean every day the same things, tables, whatever meeting rooms, irrespective of whether there was actually anybody in there that day. Equally, vice versa, certain rooms might get used like, and there'd be a huge mess because there was an impromptu, you know, hopefully COVID safe pizza party. But, um, you know, if you, if you have traditional cleaning contracts, you might not be able to have the on-demand um, sort of responsiveness that you, that you need, you know. So um, hmm. but a lot of this, a lot of this also then knocks, there's a knock-on effect on, on business models, right? Both for the suppliers of the labor uh, and indeed of the automation, as well as for the uh, employer or the, you know, the, the, the business concerned. And I think there is going to have to be a, a question mark about, you know, if you are wanting more response, responsive, flexible workforce um, that in a sense is, you know, more on demand, how are you going to share value? Because without them doing what they do, you can't do what you want to do if that makes sense, have this more fluid contract uh, and model. And so it's interesting to me that one of the things that COVID is creating is this ability, you know, for example, with landlords to think about turnover rents, sharing upside, but equally then not being able to have, you know, creating a situation where you might not need to have lots of standby people hanging around. Instead, they're doing a variety of different things, both for your organization and other organizations. So that, that flexibility has to then impact, ultimately, in my view, on the business model. Uh, and that's something we're gonna, we are going to see, I think, in certain industries like, like retail or, um, or say commercial property office, um, to pick a couple examples where it's just not viable to carry on with the same kind of fixed or semi-fixed costs the way we have done. But with technology, you can flex the labor, um, and, and flex your costs, but then you may have to give up some of the upside. Through turnover rents, through you know profit sharing, and so on. And, and I think that, and just picking up on that, Nat, the the fact that in some ways, you know, as you adopt more dynamic models, as you embrace technology into your operating model, I think at times there's going to be the perception that, you know, in, in that case, in some ways, your people model may matter matter less, or you know, in some ways, you're prioritizing you know the machines over the the, the humans. What I'm hearing from you is that actually in some ways you need to be more thoughtful about how you're engaging your labor force and perhaps more intentional in more of these blended or dynamic environments um, as you are incorporating technology into what you do. Yeah, that's right. I think, um, I think, you know, the, the near term impact of COVID and obviously this differs based on different um, types of workers and, uh, you know, levels of skill, et cetera. But, it may, you know, obviously high unemployment, um, we have, you know, a fairly unique situation for, as far as the labor market is concerned. And there is going to be compression. You know, no doubt there will be, uh, say, older, white, uh, low, low, lower skilled 
uh, or medium skilled white collar workers that are going to start to do blue collar jobs or low skilled white collar jobs. And, you, and it's going to really impact the young uh, and, and the less skilled. Right. But having said that, um, there is still a war for talent. <laughs> that is the paradox of the era that we're in especially talent that doesn't mind having robots around that, that can do this, you know, toggling that we talk about. Um, and I think uh, employers and corp companies are going to have to really think hard and quite carefully. I remember, you know, we worked at McKinsey before, and I think they learned the hard way. A lot of professional service firms learned the hard way, both in uh, 2000, the aftermath of 2001, 2008, that if you get rid of everybody, it takes years to rebuild your, your workforce. And your high performers and your kind of medium to high performers, you kind of need to, to hold on to them, you know, like really hard because the thing can switch very quickly. Uh, we're seeing this like in logistics, right? So we don't have enough ships right now, literally right now, to deliver all the containers in time for Christmas. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, one of the immediate things that people did was to de decommission ships or, you know, um, so, so now you've got all these supply chain issues. Same thing can happen to labor, right? Just when you need the people, you can't get them. Because even though there are lots of you know people who are looking for work, they might not be trained or in the right place. Um, so it's a delicate balance. Um, and I think the, honest, the, lockdown, the nursing shortages come to mind at the moment. Now that's yeah, the, uh, yeah absolutely. <laughs> we, could, we could use some well, more vaccinators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you almost, in my view, want to be training um, as a as a policy for government. You want to be training people to do uh, different jobs that are almost diversified between each other. And employers could be doing the same thing for their workers too. You know, so I love, I love how we've, you know, over the years we've seen examples in this, in the, in, in those of us who are kind of into and researching the future of work, of, um, you know, where, um, for example, in the north there's a, a case of a, a local government that decided to put sensors in people's waste, you know, garbage, uh, resident, residential waste collection, right? And instead of firing all the uh, garbage men, the delivery, uh, who picked up all the waste because they, they, they actually could reduce by 10 X the number of, the, uh, collections needed because they only collected when the bins were full, right? Instead of doing that, they redeployed the people to, um, commercial waste collection where the, where the council, the local government body actually makes money mm -hmm. from collecting commercial waste, right? So, um, I think that thoughtfulness, about your workforce is is probably that res that creating that resilience where you can toggle and flex at the institutional level, even at the national regional level, is going to be a key skill moving forward to manage our talent actively, rather than the kind of historic, um, you One know, role. the moment the moment there's any trouble, fire everybody, you know, <laughs> or put them on zero hour contracts, whatever. I think there has to be a much more nuanced. You know, I almost think, I, you know, the examples don't spring to mind. Uh, maybe you can think of more, but, you know, you know that people are, people who sell ice cream have to probably be doing something different in winter because you can't sell that much ice cream in winter, right? So maybe you have to sell umbrellas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and there's some crossover skills, but there's probably a different sales pitch for an umbrella to, to, you know, ice cream. So the smart employer in future who has, you know, the, either within their business or with other businesses, the ability to kind of share talent, um, create that security for the employee, but ensure that there's resilience, but the employee is still around when you need them in those crucial months, right? Um, I don't, I don't see, for example, agriculture in the UK having done that enough. We, mm -hmm. we basically rely on Eastern European labor, which is understandable because those guys work so hard. 
but maybe we need a kind of territorial reserve force just in case, you know, those guys find somewhere else they want to go to, especially next year. Um, because if you don't think ahead in that way in terms of your workforce planning, then, then when, when you get these, these shocks like COVID, and they're going to be more frequent. You know, at the moment it's COVID. It may be supply chain shocks. It may be flooding. You don't know what it's going to be. You just have to start to plan for that, uh, that volatility in the way you manage people, I think, in future. And that you speak to a lot of these, um, executives and obviously are, are in government yourself. And you mentioned this notion of seeing ahead and building that reserve force. Yeah. Uh, my impression from the conversations I have is that, especially at the moment, people are you know, attempting to deal with the problems before then. That in some ways it can be difficult to actually look above the horizon to see the need to plan for the future and reserve. I mean, what, what yeah. is your what is your what is your pitch? Is it just the fact that in some ways the unexpected will become the expected going forward? You mentioned more COVID. Yeah. Is it just that you you have yeah. to expect that this will become the steady state what we've been in as opposed to an exception and really try to encourage people in that way? Or, or how do you get people to focus on the future? Look, without a doubt, people have to focus on fighting the fire that's in front of them, right? Um, but I think when you're generating options for sorting out the short-term fire, so let's take the, you know, healthcare in the UK. Uh, the health minister uh, has had to, you know, develop tests and tracing, focus on the vaccine. He's got a lot of short-term stuff he needs to do, right? One of the things I've been advocating for is to actually build uh, what we call nightingale capacity, so extra sort of hospital care. Uh, capacity, especially for outpatients, um, and maybe put them, you know, on car parks. So rather than just doing the obvious thing, which is to get, you know, exhibition centres, which are empty, it's true, but you're spending billions, and generally they're empty. We only use them in, in, you know, the very, very emergency, and and even in the short term, because of the shortage of nurses, as you say, it's actually really difficult to activate them because you've got the building, but you haven't got the workforce, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you are doing the things you have to do in the short term, but I think. You know, as you get through the first fire, you then have to go, okay, think like chess, one step or two steps ahead. Like, you know, what if test and tracing doesn't work? Do we, do we need to, you know, what if we can't, these vaccines don't stop, uh, further peaks next winter, right? When you have a little bit of room to breathe, I'm not saying don't fight today's fire, but I think a smart firefighter looks ahead and goes, hmm, there may be other dangers here. We might get, you know, a gas explosion if we're not careful in a few hours time. Um, and then you generate options. And to me, the interesting options that you generate are the ones that overlap with dealing a short term problem, which you're going to spend, you know, money and time and energy on anyway, but also has, gives you the option to solve the long term problem. So in the healthcare example, um, it would be building, you know, modular patient bed sort of rooms on hospital car parks because it's near the hospital. You can access some of the, the worker, you know, the nurses, et cetera, healthcare workers. And then you can, you can actually use that when you're not um, in emergency times as key worker housing for nurses or for healthcare work, which is the key driver for retention of staff in a healthcare setting in a hospital. Like they need, they need accommodation that's affordable. So um, during pandemics, you, they don't, you know, you can put people in hotels if necessary because they're empty but during normal times, you can actually recover some of the costs of that emergency, you know, that, that kind of uh, modular uh, housing. But during pandemics, those those units can be used for like treatment or just another bed to, to, to free up a bed in hospital, which then expands your capacity to deal with the peaks, you know, that you're trying to deal with. So that's, you know, three billion that you're spending every six months. You could actually, you know, maybe one day get back one billion just from the future rental streams from 
you see, do you see my thought process? Whereas mm, absolutely. If, your te- if, if your bet on test and trace doesn't work, you're still having to spend another three billion for the rest of the next year. So it's going to cost you 12 billion, right? <laughs> so um, I think there is an, you know, I think many businesses now need to kind of look at their office use. They need to look at their workforce and go, okay, what if we don't quite kill this one within one or two years? What if we have to think longer term? Okay. And then, so, you know, and a lot of them did the right thing. They told their staff not to go back to work. You know, they may be giving up some of their buildings that they don't need or using them in a different way. But now you have to start thinking, okay, what does, what might the future look like? And which of the options in future around workforce, around sort of asset allocation and management could still fit in short to medium term strategy as well? And those are the ones to, you know, it's the pivot, like aim for the pivot. And then the pivot gives you the option. If you don't, then you don't have an option. And that's, that's dangerous. I think uh, Scott and I are both wryly smiling at you saying uh, everything you've just said, because that's, that's so where we are right now with the conversations we're trying to have with the people with the hair on fire, <laughs> you know, in healthcare and in other organizations, because, you know, where, where we sit is seeing that there do, does need to be this shift to dynamic working. There does, uh, you know, need to be a problem solved immediately, which is, for example, you know, mobilizing a uh, diverse workforce to come together to deliver the vaccine, uh, for example. Yeah. But, but we're also, firmly sitting here with that eye on the future as well which is exactly what you've said which is there will be another covid whatever that looks like you know whether it's a natural disaster or an economic uh, impact um, there will be other fluctuations to demand and supply in you know whether labor market or you know just in the market for things and so you know we like to think we're sitting there with that solution that's solving the you know putting some putting some fires out now, but also with a, an eye to the future of this will also help you solve the problem you have now and the one you'll have in the future, because there'll always be a reason for more or less people to be, you know, on site for people, like you said, to be trained in more than one skill. Um, you're going to need a way to manage that and manage the flow of who needs to be where, when, and can that be the same person? So, yeah, yeah. I know we're both here right. going, okay. And- it's good that you're yeah. saying that. <laughs> but I think a smart, a smart move for many employers, especially as furlough starts to end, is to say, okay, let's not put people just on full-time furlough. Let's maybe pay them a day a week in little cross-functional teams, the front yeah. line, the blue collar and the white collar, and ask them a question. You know, under these scenarios, what is the future of our industry and what can we do about it? Right. And if even one team comes up with a game changing pivot solution, right, then you may have a future business. You may have a future growth business. You're not, you know, wasting people's time, frankly, and then either, you know, making them unemployed or uh, they, they just sat idle and you're just delaying the inevitable. You're actually putting them to some productive use, which is to reevaluate um, and come up with, you know, sideways solutions. I love the example of Jaguar Land Rover who, you know, their retirees, instead of just letting them go, you know, they, they figured out they could actually create a whole new business um, looking after classic cars using the skills of the people who worked in Jaguar, you know, for years. It was part of their kind of later life workforce strategy. Um, now, imagine all the ideas that you could come up with right now fairly cheaply if you said to people, look, use 20% time, we'll pay for it. Maybe you can even apply for government innovation grants or you know, find other partners that we can co-invest in some of these things um, with, with us as a possibly a first customer, right? 
um, not possible for everybody. I accept some people are just in an emergency and they just need to, you know, it's kind of game over. But I think for others where it's more of an uncertain picture, now is the time to be doing this. And with respect to McKinsey, et cetera, don't just get the consultants in to do it. <laughs> get the people who have been at the coalface as well as other smarter people, you know, smart, not smarter, um, people who've been, you know, in, involved in strategy and analytics, involved in the process and come up with a lateral solution. I think Absolutely. even though there's an even simpler question that every business can ask that from you talking is, is that real simple question of asking everyone who works with them, what are your other skills? You know, if, if they've been hired to do that one task, right back to what you were talking about at the beginning with the, the Tesco's and the, the shelf stack security, like if you're not even asking your workforce what else they can do or want to do, um, you know, that's the first place to start. I think that's a big mistake. Like you said, most people just think in that kind of one dimensional, you know, one modality, like what have you been hired to do? Okay. That's all you can do. And even just having conversations with your existing workforce to find out what else they can do. Um, and then obviously getting those teams together to, to think about new ways of working or how to, to bring those skills to good use. I think, in a lot of cases, it's that simplest conversation that's missing. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Um, I remember when I was, you know, ten years ago uh, in government, and we, we were having to lay off a lot of civil servants from the country. I did say, why can't we create a transition um, uh, agency that would help transition people into other, you know, uh, areas uh, like maybe social enterprise or, or, or whatever and use their skills um, rather than just leave people to fend for themselves. One benefit right now of, say, even universal credit is I think it does give a little bit of breathing room, depending on you know what level you're at, for people to kind of do that pivoting in their career. But sometimes you need to just encourage people and ask them and guide them and support them a little bit um, and, and, and enable them to sort of think portfolio and not just the next thing could be you know another full-time job, uh, whether, whether they actually – come alive with the idea of having to do another nine to five thing again, you know, mm. um, because in this environment, you know, nine to five can be pretty stressful. The, the job insecurity and the, you know, um, you're either in a firefighting situation in a call center or a, from home where there's not enough support and you just have too much work to do, or you're in a situation with lockdowns where there's not enough work to do and, and both are pretty stressful. So you kind of want people to, anyway to be thinking about how do you develop your career at this stage uh, and creating those options for themselves, just as, as the organization needs to do that as well. Now, in, in that, which we've in some ways looked at the the firm, if you will, and advised you know, how they might think to your example of the chess master one or two steps ahead. If you're advising, you know, you know, an, an individual, you know, taking into account, you know, the uncertainty of, of, of the macro effects of, of recurrent COVIDs, oh, God forbid. And, and also, you know, that automation and technology that's coming into the workforce. Like, what would you advise in, in terms of having an individual prepare for multiple careers, um, you know, particular industries, you know, ways to toggle? Just curious what your advice would be for them. Yeah, one of the things in the recent, say, three years I've been advising, I think particularly millennials, um, you know, this may or may not work if you're sort of on a, from, a, on a, from a blue collar background or, or whatever. Um, um, and I, I, it may even be tough for me if you're from a very corporate culture where, you know, it is the job for life. That is less experience of most people, but it's still a big part of our workforce. But I've been saying, look, create three buckets in your 
in your head, in your kind of career planning, in your week even. One is, what can I do to pay the bills? So you, you need the daily bread, right? And sometimes that involves a radical shift. You need to, you know, right now, a lot of millennials I know, they're literally leaving London. They're going, because if they're, particularly if you're a digital worker, you can, you can go and work from somewhere where there's incredibly low cost base, right? Uh, even people working from, you know, overseas by the beach or, you know, further out uh, in the countryside or whatever, as long as you've got good internet. So what do you need to do to get your daily bread? And then what is it that you can do over time that is easy for you to do that you get some degree of, uh, flow from doing or that is easy for you to do that you can find a client to pay you not just a salary or a fee to do but some share some upside it doesn't have to be equity it could be just a commission or a fee to do right and um just give me one second and uh yeah so we're going through going through the drive through <laughs> yeah i'm going to drive through and because people the you or someone at you <laughs> yeah that is at me <laughs> um, sorry about that i think i think with um, you is what i would say it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's encouragement uh, encouragement yeah, that yeah. <laughs> and um yeah and uh the upside because people ultimately need to not just in future be um earning a wage because there is a risk with automation that wages will be flat as they have been uh, in certain areas and certain skill sets. Um, so there's, there's the upside play. And then I think people need to have to carve out space in their life. If it could be a day a week or a few hours to do legacy, what I call legacy stuff. When you die, that's what you want to be remembered for having done. It could be small things. It could be, you know, major social reform type things. It could be inventing something, whatever makes you really flow which may take a while to make money from, you know, like most startups that make money for, you know, it could be seven years or more. So you want to encourage people um, to pursue things that give them joy, as it were. And, um, you know, you never get to that perfection. Some people have to be full-time daily bread for a season or whatever, but you want people ultimately, in my view, these days to aim for that balance. Um, and the beauty of that is there'll be some things that you do and you don't get energy from doing, but you're, you're okay. You know, you can, you can do it. Um, and that gives you some job security in that industry, that skill set. And there'll be other things which are exciting, they're innovative, they're new, they're, you know, but which other people maybe struggle to do, you know, uh, that you can, you can make a living from and maybe some upside. So I think when you think in those terms, it starts to make your portfolio anyway and develop different skills. Um, and I think it's just a good idea in future in this digital age for people to be having skills that are physical as well as skills that are digital and even if in an ideal world your, your day isn't just you know zoom 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 but there are parts of your day when it's not the washing up <laughs> or it might be oh i'm going to pop around do a bit of task rabbit and you know i might not mow someone's lawn because the robot's doing that but you definitely have to trim the lawn still i know because i've got a robot uh, lawnmower at the moment um and there are these there are these little micro jobs that could be done you know that um can top up your if that makes sense that makes absolute sense. And actually, I think it's a, a hugely applicable um, guide for, for people in shift work. Because in some ways, what attracts people, you know, obviously it is the need to, to make a living, but it attracts many people to, you know, shift-based work is that flexibility that allows them to carve out, in some cases, maybe family responsibilities. Or in some cases, it may be um, 
crime fighting. No, sorry, sorry <laughs> Sir Iron. Or, or, or in some cases, it may be, uh, like you say, legacy, you know, legacy building. So I think it actually is something that is a strength of the, of the shift based workforce that oftentimes you can do additional things around those, those times when you have time off. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I, and, and, and I, I think we haven't really as a. Oh, go ahead, please. Society. Yeah. Done. No, no, I think sorry. The final point. We are still figuring out. We're still figuring out as regulators, as lawmakers, as, you know, the treasury, the finance sort of people in government, et cetera, how to create the right environment for shift workers. So you want to protect people from exploitation and not having enough to live on, but you don't want to ruin the flexibility that we get for industry as well as for people from these kinds of models, you know. So we, we need to see how it's going to play out. I'm not a fan of universal uh, income, by the way. Um, I think there are real risks with that. Um, if you look at certain societies where there's just loads of income, you know, every day for people, I, I kind of would prefer universal robots and maybe, you know, affordable housing as, as, a, as another solution. But we have to, we have to think out of the box moving forwards just as lawmakers, just as uh, industry and company leaders, as well as workers need to start thinking in a portfolio way about things. And that may be one question. What, what are in your buckets, if you're able to uh, abide by them yourself in these times, what are you doing for legacy and joy besides coming on podcasts of, of dear friends? Uh, uh, well, I think for me, the, you know, the lockdown has really put the importance of family, uh, you know, um, first and foremost in my mind. So for me, actually, legacy is raising some great kids, uh, which is, you know, and, and making sure my marriage is strong. I think that's become really important. Um, and, and, and then friends, you know, <laughs> uh, and then beyond that, obviously, as you know, I do a lot of stuff on the charitable, the social side, a lot of stuff around social investing and impact. Um, so I'm really excited about all of that and how we build back, not just greener, but in a more resilient way and in a way that's more uh, equitable. So I've probably got, I'm very overweight probably on that. And then, you know, yeah, I'm looking at these opportunities coming out of the crisis uh, financially as well and looking at the commercial uh, project side. And that's really uh, starting to really spike. I think Q1 will be very busy on that front <laughs> just to warn everybody. Um, and uh, yeah, and then um, I think, you know, we, we have to change the way we regulate uh, in the world that we're in and bring back certain principles of law, uh, which I'm really excited to be looking into in the coming years. You know, common law, for example, um, which is a whole other topic. <laughs> well, as opposed to branching out, why don't we leave it there? Um, yeah. Now, th thank you so yeah, yeah. much. No, I'm really time. grateful for your time. <laughs> thank you. No, good to speak to you. Thank you. Good luck. I really love that one of the biggest and simplest ideas from this conversation was to ask your own workforce to spend time answering your own future of work questions. So not just consultants, but those at the coalface, I thought it was a really great and timely reminder that even in the midst of firefighting, there's still an opportunity to solve problems in the future too. And that actually it makes sense too, even when it might be really hard to think further ahead than the immediate problem. joining us for another episode of the shifts happen podcast there's more episodes where this came from with more conversations about making people powered work work better
If you'd like to ask us questions or have suggestions or would like to hear a feature in a future episode, do drop us a line. Or if you think dynamic staffing is something you'd like to explore for your own organization, we're always excited to have the conversation. Find out more and get in touch on the hirehand.co.uk website or find us both, Lucy Whittington and Scott Irwin, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.